The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them he addressed this parable. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he does find it, he sets it on his shoulders with great joy. And upon his arrival home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and say to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in just the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Or what woman, having ten coins and losing one, would not light a lamp and sweep the house, searching, and searching carefully until she finds it? And when she does find it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin that I lost. In just the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Children are, have a, a, an acute sense of fairness. I'm guessing that you've probably heard your child at some point say, that's not fair. Right? It's not fair. There's, there's just this knowledge uh, that happens of, of fairness and justice and kind of what's right and wrong, even if they don't necessarily understand what's right or wrong. They understand justness and fairness, at least in their eyes. Right? As humans, we have this idea of justice and fairness, which begins at a young age but doesn't stop at a young age. We still have it today where we understand justice pretty well. If somebody does something wrong, then something wrong should happen to them, right? If something bad, you know, again, if uh, this kind of justice and fairness, however, our justice and fairness is often self-referential, okay? It's often all about us. And we see this especially with children, right? It's not fair. It's not fair that they, you know, get to do this. Well, it's not fair that you didn't clean up your room, isn't it? You know, right? It's not, it's not fair in these other ways, but we don't necessarily see those ways in which we're blessed or that the system is working in our favor. Uh, we only see those ways which sometimes the system isn't working in our favor. Or uh, we see that, but not the ways that are working in our favor. Now, with God, God is perfectly just. He is perfectly just. And in that perfect justice, uh, we actually all deserve to be destroyed and actually go to hell. That's what the strict justice of God actually uh, necessitates because because of our sin. However, we're grateful that the system is not actually fair, that God is actually more than just strict justice. He is also infinite mercy. Now, we can only understand mercy if we understand what truly is being given us to understand that God has no no kind of necessity to give us mercy. Again, if we want justice, 
We can get it, but it's not going to be what we want. We ultimately want mercy. We want mercy recognizing that we're not perfect, that we're in need of forgiveness, that we're in need of a God who is merciful to us. And we're grateful that we have a God who is infinite mercy itself. If we look at this world like the scribes and Pharisees and demand justice, well then, we'll get justice, but it won't be the way that we think it will go. Instead, what Jesus comes is he comes for the sinner. And as we come to Mass, even though that in a, in a certain extent we're the ones in the church, we're really not. We're the, we're the sinners who Jesus is eating with. At the beginning of Mass, we take a moment to acknowledge our sins. And all of us take a moment and hopefully recognize those ways in which we haven't perfectly honored and loved God. And that's okay. That is the attitude that we come to God with. One of repentance. One of acknowledgement of our sin. And in that, asking for his mercy. See, today we hear the story about the 99 and the 1 and and to a certain extent, we kind of say, well, we're part of the 99 and Jesus is running off getting that one. Well, I look at it that every single one of us is that lost sheep. Every single one of us is lost. Now, it's not because God lost us, okay? Like, oh, wait, where, where did he go? Where, you know, uh, God doesn't lose us. We're the only one who, ones who can lose ourselves. And we do that through our free will in sin. And God, though, thankfully, doesn't in strict justice say, well, whatever happens, happens. Uh, doesn't let nature kind of take its course in that justice. Instead, he is the merciful God, the good shepherd who goes out and searches for us and desires to bring us back into the fold, bring us back to reconciliation and relationship and love with him. We see this in the first reading. The first reading, the Israelites, right away after God has done all these amazing things, brought them out of Egypt and is going to give them the promised land. And Moses goes off to the mountain to commune with God. And, and the Israelites right away abandon God and start worshiping a calf, a golden calf. And God, in right justice, wanted to and was going to destroy them. But he didn't. He relented. Now, I think this is a... a a cool interaction of God actually using Moses, kind of, I see it as a psychological kind of uh, reverse psychology, where he says that he's going to destroy the people, and Moses actually has to d- defend them, even though that Moses is also angry at the people, okay? Moses and God are both angry at the people, and Moses actually defends the people uh, to God, which then actually gives Moses a heart of compassion for his people. Um, God already had that heart of mercy and compassion, but Moses needed to learn in some ways. And so we we see this way in which God's mercy, again, seeks that reconciliation, that reconciliation of future instead of just dwelling on past ills. The Sacred Heart is this beautiful, uh, we are a Sacred Heart community, kind of named after the Sacred Heart, And the Sacred Heart is one of my favorite images because it has this acknowledgement of sin and being hurt and injured. God uh, in the Sacred Heart has the crown of thorns 
around his heart, still hurting, still being hurt by our sins, but yet still offering his heart and loving us. That's the love of God, right? Now, we shouldn't approach that with presumption of saying, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? That's not the way that we approach God. We, we approach God with an understanding of his justice and a, and a great horror of sin or hurting God who loves us. But we also know that God does not want to dwell on those past ills or those the past, past sins or the ways in which he's been hurt, but instead wants to seek that reconciliation. And I think that's the only true way forward. We see this with St. Paul. St. Paul in the second reading talks about it, that he is the worst of all sinners, the worst of all, and yet God had patience on him and mercy. And what happened was, instead of, in all justice, again, God could have, you know, uh, just rid the world of St. Paul as he was persecuting Christians and putting them to death and rounding them up. Instead, God strikes him down, blinds him, and calls him to follow him. And so St. Paul, who was the worst persecutor of Christians, becomes the greatest evangelizer of Christianity. This is the mercy of God. This is the economy of God's salvation. And we're grateful that this is the way that God loves us. I'd also say, I think it is the only true way forward. I want to give two stories about the way in which mercy allows us to be able to actually function and move forward. The first is of World War I and World War II. World War I, after it was finished and the winners were decided and the losers were decided, justice was exacted, where the winners needed to be paid by the losers. And there were strict and very hard penalties uh, and retribution that was meant to be paid. But it was in that justice and in that punishment that actually gave the seeds and the rise for World War II. It was in Germany of the great ills for trying to pay back that Hitler was able to rise. And so this desire for justice actually brought on more injustice. But instead, in World War II, after World War II, instead of trying to seek for that strict justice, the Allies sought to have mercy and actually care for those who they had lost and fought as well. And instead of exacting punishment and, and punishment for the nation as a whole, instead sought reconciliation. And now those two countries are our greatest allies right? and has brought great peace on this world. And so that's the power of mercy. That's the power of mercy that we see that is necessary within this world, and that we need not more justice, but more mercy. The other story is one of my favorite of St. Maria Goretti. St. Maria Goretti was born in 1890 in Italy to a poor family. And when she was about 11, she was caring for the family while her mother was out in the fields because her father had already passed away, and they were sharing a house with another family who were also very poor, and the mother had died. And, and uh, she was taking care of kind of the baby and, and uh, when she was only 11 and again some of her family was out working and uh, the the neighbor boy Alessandro had taken a liking to Maria Goretti and and wanted to have her as his own uh, 
but she had kind of refused him in the past. And, but he knew on this particular day that she was going to be alone in the house. And so he went back after going out to work. He actually came back and tried to force himself upon her and said, and St. Maria Goretti responded and said, no, Alessandro, uh, it's a sin. God doesn't want it. And Alessandro threatened her with death. And St. Maria Goretti refused. And Alessandro, in his rage, stabbed her 14 times. Um, she, of course, cried out and he ran away. Um, shortly after that, she was found, passed out and taken to the hospital. He was captured and thrown into prison. She, on her deathbed, as the, the, she woke up as the doctors were trying to operate on her and save her, um, she only survived about 24 hours after that. But while she was, again, on her deathbed, she knew what happened and she forgave Alessandro. She said, I forgive Alessandro. I want him to be in heaven with me. Wow. Amazing. Now, does that make the action okay? No, by no means. But that mercy changed Alessandro's life. Now, what's interesting is that it didn't change it right away. And I think this is the beautiful interaction of justice and mercy. Uh, Some people were trying to give Alessandro the death penalty, and rightfully so in justice. In fact, it wasn't even complete justice because he killed an innocent girl and he wasn't innocent himself, right? So actually in strict justice, again, uh, his death would have been just. Uh, St. Maria Goretti's mother actually argued against the death penalty for Alessandro. Not because Alessandro was uh, repentant, Actually, Alessandro was not repentant. He, he didn't care what he did. And he didn't care what the consequences were. And he wasn't sorry at all. He was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And he was a terrible prisoner. He was thrown in solitary confinement often. And in one of those times when he was in solitary confinement, St. Maria Goretti appeared to him and gave him 14 lilies for each time that he stabbed her. And something had been working in it that St. Maria Goretti was praying for him and, and the family was praying for him, seeking this mercy, seeking this reconciliation that after that dream, he completely changed and asked for the, the chaplain of the, of the prison to go to confession, to confess his sins, actually acknowledge his wrong and became a model prisoner. He got out three years early after 27 years, serving 27 years and went to St. Maria Goretti's mother and asked for forgiveness, right? He didn't have that opportunity before because he wasn't repentant. He asked for forgiveness. And Maria Goretti's mother also said, how could I not forgive you? My own daughter has already forgiven you. And they went to church together for Christmas mass and received communion next to each other. That's the power of mercy. Alessandro would, would spend his rest of his life uh, serving uh, as a gardener for a Capuchin monastery. All of us have ills that have happened to us. And again, mercy is not about wiping away sin and saying that sin isn't bad or that it doesn't matter or whatever. Let's not seek any justice whatsoever. Because justice, as we seek it, should be always tempered with mercy, ultimately through the understanding that God seeks as well, which is reconciliation. Now, that's a two-way street. Thankfully, God is always there for us. And the part that's missing is us. 
in other relationships, that's sometimes not the case, okay, right? That we can only do our part of extending mercy and pray that ultimately for the good of those who have hurt us. Not because we don't want, uh, sometimes the, the way of reconciliation is in fact, like Alessandro, being put in prison and suffering the consequences and learning from them. And that's actually one of the interactions of justice and mercy that God uses as well. That there are consequences to sin and that sometimes we have to suffer the consequences, but that he ultimately gives us mercy. God is much more merciful than we can understand. We understand justice. I don't think we completely understand mercy. And so my prayer is that we are able to know the great mercy of God in our own life, to know how merciful God is, not take it for granted or presumption, but really experience it and know it, and then also share it with the world that so desperately needs not more justice, but more mercy.